Another Way to Play, episode 39. This is Tyler Chesser, founder and president of the Chesser Companies and host of the Elevate podcast. And if you want to learn how to make the next chapter of your life better than the past, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my buddy, Hans Stradina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone who recognized fairly early on that that was true for them, and he decided to do something about it. As of now, he is someone who is founded his own company, started his own podcast, and has been named Rising Star 30 and Under Internationally in Commercial Real Estate by the Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, and one of the top 20 people to know in real estate by the Louisville Business First. I am, of course, talking about Tyler Chesser, founder and president of the Chesser Companies, host of the Elevate podcast, and top peak performance coach for multifamily investors around the United States. Tyler and I have a really great conversation, which I'm excited to bring to you. Uh, A couple things that he and I discussed that you're going to want to listen up for. Uh, One is this concept of a survival thought. We talk about the questions you ask yourself internally, and he brings up this idea of survival thought versus um, a higher quality level of thinking. Listen up for that conversation. Uh, he's got a, uh, a tagline for his company called the Elevate to a Life Without Limits, and he explains what that means, and you should absolutely listen up for that. And then he leaves us with uh, one thought that I am really excited about personally, which he brings up in his story at multiple points, but what is happening for you not to you. He tells a really great story about how he bought a house with a colony of 30,000 bees and how that ultimately set him on his path uh, to doing all the great things he's doing now that I just listed a few seconds ago. Uh, So before we get into the episode with Tyler, I want to remind you that if you do get value out of this episode or any of the others that I put out, please go over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review. It gives me a ton of great feedback as well as uh, helps with the algorithms to put this podcast in front of more people. And of course, you know, if you are vibing what I'm saying, you want to get to know me, I would love to get to know you. So in the show notes, you can find my Calendly link. Love to have a chat, get to know you, ask a few questions on how I can keep making the podcast better, what I should ask, uh, what I should stop asking potentially, what I should double down on, what other guests we should get on, et cetera, et cetera. So take a look in both of those areas after this episode. But without any further ado, here is my conversation with Tyler Chesser. Tyler, appreciate you being on the show today, man. Welcome. Hans, thank you so much for having me, man. It's uh, it's a real a pleasure and an honor to be here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely excited to get into this with you because you've got pretty cool story and and definitely doing some stuff that I find to be really interesting. So hopefully everyone else will too. But before we get there, um, let's back up and build a little context for your story. Uh, where did you come from? You know, where did your journey begin? 
Yeah. So um, I'll just kind of start from a high level from just growing up. I mean, I'm from a middle-class background. You know, we always, we had enough, you know, we weren't always like super well off. I mean, there were certainly times where I remember my parents saying, Hey, we can't afford that or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, they weren't like not paying the bills and there was no times where, you know, the, the electricity was turned off or those kind of things. But certainly didn't come from a super wealthy background. So I think that certainly is some context from just my early upbringing. And, you know, it's int- I always think about that sometimes, like thinking back as a kid, I never really thought about that, but it was just sort of the model of the world that was developed for me over time. And as I grew up, you know, I was, was always, I loved basketball. I mean, I played basketball growing up. I'm from Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And of course, basketball is king in the bluegrass. And so- yeah. I was always obsessed with, you know, the Kentucky Wildcats. Of course, growing up, Michael Jordan was one of my heroes and idols. And so I was always playing basketball in the backyard and, you know, imagining that Scottie Pippen passed the ball to Tyler Chester, who then passed the ball to Michael Jordan, who then shot the shot and won the game. And of course, you know, those were those were just, you know, who I idolized growing up and who I wanted to become. I always wanted to be an NBA basketball player. That obviously did not work out for myself, you know, but still extremely passionate about the sport and, you know, uh, where it's going today and, and what's possible through that sport. But that has really nothing to do with what I do, you know, today. But as I kind of grew up through the ranks, I, um, you know, I, I was always a good student growing up. Um, but when I went to college, I was also a good student as well. I wouldn't, I wasn't a valedictorian or, you know, 4.0 type of guy, but, you know, it was like a 3.5 type of student, which is pretty solid, I, I would say. And, but I was always told that, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and then kind of, you know, right off into the, you know, when you're 65, you retire and kind of do that thing, which is the, you know, the middle class background. As I, when I reached college, I became involved in a fraternity just because, I just wanted to meet new friends, to be honest with you. I wanted to Mm -hmm. make new friends. And I was kind of enamored with the whole networking aspect of being involved in a fraternity. And as I got involved in that, I actually got more and more involved. And I learned about leadership. And I actually didn't know anything really about that and that I had that within me. And I ultimately became the president of my fraternity. And that was kind of one of the first turning points for me to realize that I have you know, some drive to become more and to lead other people and to, you know, influence other people and, um, you know, really kind of to, you know, influence behavior and also collaborate with other people and and do things. So I started to really become like addicted to that at that point, because it was such a satisfactory sort of process. And so as I got into my my career, uh, you know, I started in the corporate world, I was doing international marketing, ultimately, And then I transitioned into real estate because I wanted to take more control over my future, my outcome, my finances, that kind of stuff. And when I got into real estate, I didn't have any family or friends in the business. So I had to really develop myself as a person. So I looked back at that time when I was becoming a leader in college, you know, leading my peers, I kind of used that experience then to kind of build on that. And I just became obsessed with like reading books and, you know, being coached and, building a network and those kind of things. So that's a very long winded way for me to explain like where I've come from and how I've gotten to where I am today. It's interesting because I think that we as a society 
uh, generally speaking, idolize the extremes, right? The people who were really downtrod or like victimized or like really, really poor and made it or the people who, you know, either had a trust fund or took their first shot and it was amazing and, you know, built Facebook or what, you know, whatever, no no shot at Facebook per se, but you know, you know, you get the analogy. And I'd say what's interesting is like the, the story of the person sort of in the middle is something that I think is lost, but there's so much to learn from because most of us can relate to that in some way or another. I mean, growing up, you know, you really followed the, the general trend that I think most people who are listening to this show are probably on in some capacity and are, are maybe recognizing is not the way that they want to live out the rest of their life and, and pursue their goals and dreams. What is it that you think set you apart ultimately from getting off of that path at such an early point as opposed to sometime when you're in your 40s or 50s and having a midlife crisis? Yeah, I, when I look back, I really feel blessed that I was a little bit defiant at that point in my life, in my career. Um, I was kind of early 20s and and I started to look around and think, man, seriously, like, is this what everybody's okay with? Are you okay with having no time? Are you okay with having limited resources just for the potential future of getting promotions and more promotions and more promotions? And so I look back and just remember, like, I remember saying the first step for me was like, all right, I'm just going to ask for more raises. And my goal was to get to the C-suite. And once I realized, I felt like that it was going to take, you know, decades to get to where I really wanted to go. I was like, well, is it more so just get in line and then wait your turn? Or is that, do I have to accept that or, or, or what? But, you know, I think I grew up at some point, like I did have a little bit of a seed of rebellion within me. And I don't know where that started. I don't know where that seed was planted, but I do think that I was not willing to accept the status quo and and it wasn't like anything like oh I'm this big hero I was just a little bit of a rebellious person and I didn't mm-hmm. do anything crazy bad or anything like that but um but I remember like feeling those thoughts and saying you know what I'm just I'm just not okay with this and I expect more and I think that's kind of what set me apart because I think most people they have those thoughts of like man this doesn't feel like right this doesn't feel like my life should be this way, but they accept it and they tolerate it. And that's Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I just wasn't willing to do. You said that you don't know where that seed of rebellion came from. Um, So obviously it was something that was not necessarily prevalent or implanted in you because you, as you mentioned at the opening of the conversation, you came from kind of a middle-class upbringing. You didn't want for anything important, but obviously couldn't afford everything that you ever wanted. And you then kind of took that forward through, you know, high school, college and into your professional life and tried to, you know, tried to, tried to walk the walk that you, you were supposed to. What do you think set you apart from, from actually feeling the angst and then taking the action on it? Because I agree with you. There is probably a lot of people who have that seed of rebellion or that, that that twinge somewhere in the back of their brain. That's like, yo, this may not be the right thing or this this doesn't feel right and then they don't do anything about it like what is that sort of step zero or step one to step two thing that that 
cued you in to be able to take the leap? You know, one of the things as I looked back that, you know, I had some circumstances that happened to me and I felt like happened to me, but now looking back, they happened for me, of course. But, you know, like I had bought my first house uh, early in my career and I had so many different like maintenance issues, like crazy stuff that happened. I mean, I had like pipes break under the garage. I had a pipe break in the front yard. I had, you know, a bee colony of 30,000 bees building the side of the house. I mean, it was like all these crazy things. I mean, like the, you know, the electric wires was grown into by a root and all this stuff. And so I remember starting to get very like, you know, kind of money worried, I guess you could say, because I, I was so ignorant when I bought the house that I didn't know that, you know, <laughs> their maintenance issues like this could have happened. And obviously looking back, like the whole gamut was really thrown at me, but I started to get irritated because I felt like I was getting more valuable in my career, but it wasn't really getting compensated to me financially. And so I think like I started to get super driven by that because I felt like my back was kind of getting pushed against the wall a little bit. And it was like, all right, now I have to get resourceful. And so a little bit of that rebellious like streak or seed that was planted into me at some point, you know, kind of it like kind of uh, was the chip on my shoulder, I guess a little bit. And so then, you know, when I wasn't getting the raises or the compensation that I thought I was, uh, that I thought that I was worth, then I started to say, okay, fine, I'm going to go get it. And so, um, you know, that, that kind of was a shift for me. And so once I realized that that, that avenue wasn't going to happen for me, I said, well, what other resources do I need to, you know, define? And, and I looked honestly at that point, I was like, all right, I need to become more valuable because, you know, it's funny because when I look back, like I remember when I graduated college, I was like, come on, I was the president of my fraternity and I have a college degree. I'm valuable mm -hmm. now. And really, if you think back, like I'm sure many of your listeners probably would think back and say, wow, I was pretty ignorant with that thought. And, you know, cause you really don't know anything when you graduate college, unless you have a specialized degree or an advanced degree, there's not mm -hmm. a ton that you can add, especially to a corporation in the business world you know, cause you got to be trained and I get it. Um, so I did realize I needed to be more valuable and, um, I, I had to go and do that. But, but I do think that I started to get a little bit irritated with the circumstances and it really drove me to do what was necessary at that point. I'm with you. There's an interesting thought that I'm having and it's, and it's something that I think is this overgeneralization of millennials, right? You you come out of college and I, and I don't think that it's there for no reason either. So I'll just caveat it, but you come out of college expecting a lot. And like the notion is like, we're entitled. Right. Yeah. Um, but I want to draw a distinction in your story is like you asked for the raises, you didn't see the path to getting them. And then you decided to go find a way to do it as opposed to just complaining or, you know, being disgruntled for not getting those raises. Right. And right there's a there's a thread through a lot of the interviews especially the ones i've been doing in the last handful of weeks um, but generally through all of these interviews of people who had some level of like being disgruntled and then took action to go follow through or had an idea and took action to follow through and like having the idea or feeling disgruntled is fantastic uh, that's definitely a clue that you're probably not in the right place, but then it has to be followed up with the action to yep. either go 
you know, try the investment property or go get a license to do, you know, sell real estate or what, you know, start the podcast or whatever it is and actually go out and try and implement. Yeah. I mean, I think using the disgruntled feeling to drive action is key. And I will have to, I have to admit that in the beginning, I just felt disgruntled. I just felt like gossiping and being pissed off about it, you know, mm -hmm. but then at some point it's like, all right, this isn't really going to make more, me more money. So, right. um, so I had to get to the point where I was really squeezed financially. And that's why I said that life happened for me at that point, because it mm -hmm. pushed me to action on that. Um, so yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. It's all about taking action. Which is a really interesting distinction when you start, when you change that one word two versus four, um, you just, you had this moment of realization that, uh, this isn't the way that it needs to be the way that I want it to be. So I have to go do something about it because nobody's going to do it for me. Yeah. And it didn't feel like it, the, it was a situation that was happening for me at the time. Of course. Um, you know, and one thing I've heard recently is that uh, I forgot who said this, but they said it's not personal growth if it's easy. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I grew so much during this time and I continue to grow to this day due to challenges. Um, and I do have to remind myself that things are happening for me and not to me. It's much easier to say on a podcast to you in retrospect that, oh yeah, this situation was perfect and I'm so glad it happened, you know, but at the time it felt ridiculous. I mean, it felt like I was totally having to re, you know, identify with who I really was. I mean, my twenties were tough. You know, I, I recently turned 30, you know, earlier this year and I look back on my 20s, it's like, man, I was like totally becoming somebody different because I feel like I was set up for a totally different path yeah. that I had to just ask so many deep questions that were not easy. So when you had that feeling and then you decided to move forward with action, like what was that action and, and then where did real estate come into the play or into the field yeah. there? Yeah. So the action was to get my real estate license. Like I said, I'd bought that house and I found real estate to be interesting. And it's funny because I, I actually, the first action that I took was I started reaching out to people that were either in my network or a part of someone that I knew in my network. And so I was just looking for other career options um, because I was doing a, I was, I had a great job with a fortune 500 company and it was uh, one of the top 50 companies in America to work for at least that was what they you know they had won an award for that that distinction and so it was it was crazy because people were like why would you want to leave that company and I'm not going to mention who they are just because it's politically correct and and it's yep. not really necessary but you know I at that point I started to talk to people it's like hey what else could I do you know what was the first step and and I asked a lot of people and I, and I came across some folks who are in the real estate business and the one of actually my realtor, when I bought my house, I asked him, he was a family friend and he said, why don't you go to our seminar, you know, next Wednesday night and, you know, see what you think about it. And if you want to get your license, you can, you don't have to work for our company, but they'll give you some more information on what that looks like. And I took a test and the test said that I have a, you know, personality and skills that would match up for six figure income. And, at that time, you know, six figures sounded like the most amazing thing that I could mm -hmm. ever, you know, expect or imagine. And so I said, all right, this is intriguing for me. And so I decided, all right, well, I'm going to get my license. I'll figure out where I want to affiliate and that kind of stuff. And that was where I started. You know, I actually sold residential real estate for about a year and transitioned into commercial real estate and started investing 
uh, in real estate and obviously in myself, uh, you know, developing my, my own skills and my own mindset and network ever since. But that's really how I got involved in real estate. That's awesome. So you started out by asking yourself good questions like what else can I do? If you go back and you listen to the episode I did with Zachary Babcock, who uh, was a prison uh, ex-con for five years, and he tells this really incredible story about being in solitary confinement. Um, I won't totally spoil it, but go back and listen. But he talks about uh, having this epiphany of like what kind of question he was asking himself as opposed like you could ask, like, what is the you know, why is this happening to me? Why am I being, uh, you know, underappreciated? Why am I not getting these raises? And, and instead, you changed that conversation in your head to start with like, what else could I do? And then that led you ultimately to the seminar, to the real estate, to the commercial and to what you're doing now. I mean, I, I just have to re-highlight the fact that it wasn't always empowering questions to myself. I mean, I think that the the default state for most human beings, especially in your early 20s or wherever most people until you I mean I still have to fight disempowering thoughts and questions you know to this day but I have to snap out of it and um, you know think about well what are my other solutions how can I turn this you know these lemons into lemonade or whatever it may be and so um, yeah I mean I think just becoming resourceful was like a lesson that I learned in that standpoint in that in that point in time and that I continue to to course correct to this day. And I don't think that the questions that you ask yourself internally, it's not just like a binary light switch situation where it's like, oh, I'm going to suddenly have better internal dialogue. Like that is a muscle yeah. that you have to exercise, a skill you have to practice. And if you've been used to asking yourself, you know, the disempowering or the negative questions for so long, like your default's going to be that. And you're just like the first step is sort of recognizing recognizing the fact that it's happening and then starting to replace every once in a while with a better question and building that repetition muscle slowly but surely. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a pattern interrupt, right? It's like, okay, just recognize that I had a survival thought. And of course, I appreciate, thank you. Thank you, brain, for, you know, trying to keep me alive. But at this time, it's not serving me and it's not healthy for me. And trying to be aware, like you said, I mean, awareness is key. I mean, stepping outside of just the survival state is a step. And once you can do that on a continual basis and interrupt that with a more empowering thought is so key. Dude, I love that you called it a survival thought. That's, that's a really nice way to put it. Cause it, cause you're right. It's like the quickest, easiest direct route to what feels like survival at that moment. It's trying to keep you safe. It's not a, yeah. it's not a someone out to get you or your self-sabotage or however you want to phrase that man, that's, that's fantastic. So you start selling residential real estate, you step into the commercial world. Uh, what, what was the catalyst for the shift? Why did you step from one to the next? It was funny because it was a, it was another pivot, you know, because when I, when I started doing residential, I was actually doing it on the side of my corporate job nights and weekends. And I was, you know, I, I was able to solve my financial problems. And I knew it was a short-term thing, solve this financial problems. But then I was also like, wow, this is a different avenue for sure. Then I started to learn more about the different options of real estate. And I never knew, honestly, and it's funny to think back to this, I never knew that cash flow was a thing or that other pieces of property could 
produce revenue and that people invested in them to create different streams of revenue. I mean, like I said, I was from a middle-class background. I mean, most middle-class folks are not involved in investing in real estate. But when I learned about that, I was like, that's really interesting. So I read some books and, and I said, that's where I want to be. And I just started talking to more people, like, how can I get involved in that space? And I really, I just kind of took action and got lucky to get referred to groups who were involved in that space that needed, you know, young hustlers to really go out Mm -hmm. and, you know, either sell distressed properties for them or help them find opportunities. And, you know, folks that have more time on their hands than, uh, than anything else. And, and uh, I was referred to a group that had a portfolio that it was, you know, some challenging properties, but it was a phenomenal opportunity for somebody like myself. So I took on the sale of their entire portfolio, quit my corporate job and learned everything I could about investment real estate and commercial real estate. And so the majority of the assets were multifamily, retail, office, and um, they actually had a package of single family home rentals. And so, um, you know, I sold those properties. I became known as the guy for this type of property in Mm -hmm. my market. And I started to invest as well because, you know, Robert Kiyosaki taught me a lesson that seems so simple now, but looking back, it was like, wow, you know, you can actually trade your, your resource for more resources, for more time, uh, and for more leverage. And, you know, there's, there's a different way than just trading your time for money, you know, and, and obviously selling real estate can get you in the game. It can, you know, get you the necessary knowledge and, and, and understanding to be successful there. But, uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And I just, I was enamored by the possibilities and I continue to be to this day. And I, I, I want to highlight something real quick, which correct me if I'm wrong, but when you went out to go search for opportunities and you went to these, uh, this groups and you ultimately found this group with the, with the portfolio that needed to sell, uh, you, it sounds like you brought something to the table. Like you, you had a pitch, you had a value proposition. It wasn't just like, Hey, how, you know, what, you know, what can I do for you? And, and like coming empty handed, like you had sort of, as you said, this young hustler mentality that you brought to the equation, even if that was just as simple as that. And maybe there was more to it. I don't know. But when you're, when you're looking for an opportunity, like making sure you bring something to that equation, uh, whether, you know, for whether it's a mentor or a job or whatever, like deciding what your value proposition is when you're out searching and then what you can bring to the table will help you identify an opportunity a lot faster than if you just go out and be like, with your hand out, like, can I get 20 minutes of your time? Can I buy you coffee? Can I pick your brain? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do you need? Like, you're basically creating more work and more obligation for that person. Maybe you can dig in on that and what you did specifically that worked so well to get you into that position. I mean, when I look back, it was more just like hard work and elbow grease and sweat, yeah. you know, um, because uh, I didn't know much. I mean, I didn't really know much, but but looking back also, I now realize how challenging the properties were, uh, these particular properties. So they needed somebody who was willing to really go the extra mile. And I was, I mean, I, I, I was excited to have the opportunity. If it was a more seasoned person, they would have been like, I'm not spending my time on that. That's crazy. Yep. But it was a phenomenal opportunity for me. But it was also unique in the fact that I had a marketing background and a marketing degree. I was a great communicator. I was a great writer. I was a great, you know, I had natural sales ability. 
And so I mixed those kind of abilities and background with just hustle and just a never give up type of attitude and excited attitude for this opportunity that I think really kind of set me apart from others who may have had the opportunity to do that. So I would say that, you know, for your listeners, if they can, you know, there's definitely going to have natural, they're, they're definitely going to have natural talents and skills that are unique to them. And they're going to have their own unique background as well. So how can you marry that and set yourself apart in whatever you're trying to do? Because I, I really use my marketing background as something that would be different and kind of using innovative thought because I didn't know a ton about real estate, especially commercial real estate. And so bringing mm -hmm. that background, I was able to do things that a lot of people weren't doing. You know, it's funny because like, you know, I think social media is really big now and, and it's still, it's still continuing to grow in the, in the commercial real estate space. But, you know, most people weren't doing a whole lot of marketing on social media mm -hmm. in those days. And I just became known as like this hub of like investment properties because people were always seeing my posts and um, it was super easy because there was like no competition on there. There was no other attention being grabbed. So anyway, uh, not to go for, too far in the weeds on that, but those are some of the things that I see as setting myself apart back then. Right on. And relative to what you're doing now, I mean, you've had some amazing successes we talked about in the intro and, you know, been recognized for, for what you're doing. And one thing I've heard you talk about on your show, but also on some other shows is, you know, the mission behind the mission. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the reason for real estate, like, like, I think we can both agree real estate's a great vehicle to build wealth. It's a great opportunity to, to, have a place to live like all these things are true but it's it's just that it's like a vehicle right it's you know it's just bricks and you know cement and wires and all that stuff that are just assembled in a certain way that it builds a house or a building or whatever but mm -hmm. it always means more than that it's a people business first um, can you talk about sort of your your unique sort of mission and like the way that you approach transactions as opposed to just like a dollars and cents way of doing things yeah. So my company's mission is to elevate to a life without limits. And what that means is, you know, for us and for our colleagues, our families, the people that we touch, whether it's our clients or our tenants or investors or whatever it may be, I believe that real estate is a vehicle to help people elevate to a life without limits. And it can also really serve so many other people too. Like if we invest in, in an apartment complex, you know, we can improve that community, we can improve the lives of the tenants, we can improve the employment opportunities for our employees, or for the people that are servicing that property, whether it's a rehab project, or what have you. And so I think there's so many different like ripple effect opportunities that we can create through real estate. But, you know, I look back on like sort of my background coming up, you know, as a middle class person, and then working in the corporate, uh, corporate environment and trying to climb that ladder, you know, towards a potential, you know, C-suite type of a dream. Um, I, I do feel like a lot of people in that space, whether it's the corporate life or many other types of employment that, um, you know, middle-class folks can, can acquire, you know, I do feel like people do get to a point where they, you know, they just start to tolerate their life. And I just think that there's a different way if you can develop yourself, your, your skills, your, you know, your mindfulness, your mindset, your, um, your health, your wellness, your fitness, um, your finances. Um, you, there's really so much more out there for you. 
and you don't have to just tolerate. You can live a life of fulfillment. You can live a life of, of limitlessness, you know? So mm-hmm. that's what I love about real estate. That's what I love about personal development. And I've, I've just become so obsessed with personal development and personal growth because it's been required for me to be successful in real estate because it's extremely challenging, especially coming up in the business. But I've learned that who I become as a person is more satisfying than the money that gets deposited into my bank account. And I want to share that with more people. I mean, ultimately, I'd like to, you know, at least expose the message to millions and millions of people. You know, just one, let's just start with 1 million. I want to do 1 million people so they don't live a life of, of just tolerating the minimum uh, and, and going out and living something that they can express their greatest talents, their, their greatest skills, their greatest, you know, creativity, their greatest ability. So that's what I see as real estate. I mean, like you said, it's a vehicle. It's, it is, can certainly offer you cash flow and wealth building opportunities, but it's the vehicle, it's the outcome that really is the best part about real estate. Really well said, man. And, and those, I think when you get clear on your mission, uh, or, or at least your mission statement of some kind, it becomes a lot simpler of how you go through whatever the transaction is. And it can be real estate, which is fantastic. But like you talk to people who work at In-N-Out, for example, I'm in California, you, you know, that's a popular chain, but you go in there and everyone's so freaking happy. And like they have, you know, a corporate culture of something that's just different. You just feel it when you're in there. And they're doing burgers and fries. Like it's like this sort of mission can come out in a lot of different ways. And when you figure it out for yourself, I think it's as you are evidence of it, it it puts you in a in a different airspace that allows you to do different and more amazing things. Yeah. What's your vehicle? Is it burgers? Is it, you know, or is it real estate or or is it podcasting? I mean, there's so many different vehicles to get out your true message. And I just think we have such an opportunity nowadays. Like, I don't really watch the news anymore, but I know people who do are like, man, can you believe all these things that are going on? And I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. I mean, to be honest yep. with you, I, I'm focused on what I can control and the good energy that I can put out there. And I mean, we all have an opportunity. We all have a platform. We This technology allows us to really do great things in the world. And what's your vehicle, you know? Guys, if you're, if you're digging what Tyler's saying, I've linked uh, his podcast Elevate and then obviously his website down in the show notes. And he's got a lot of great content out of there. So you can go down there, check him out and follow him. Uh, his podcast is awesome. I'm a follower, so you should definitely check it out. Tyler, you've been awesome, man. Thanks for bringing all this uh, wonderful value. I want to respect your time. Uh, so I am going to, unfortunately, uh, transition us to the end of the show here, which is called the Focus Five. Same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's rock. All right, man. What book have you gifted most often? Yeah. So recently I've gifted this book uh, multiple times. It is called Psycho Cybernetics by a man named Maxwell Maltz. Uh, it was actually written in like the 60s, but he was a uh, plastic surgeon, believe it or not. But ultimately, the, the theme behind the book is it's about identity and it's about mm-hmm. how you see yourself and what that allows you to create in your life. And so it's a really, really good book and I've just found it to be fascinating. So I highly recommend your audience to look, uh, look up that book. Psycho-cybernetics. Fantastic. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? It's got to be Ben Franklin uh, for me because um, Ben Franklin, I read his autobiography, or I'm sorry, his biography by um, 
Walter Isaacson uh, earlier this year and just such an exciting guy. I mean, he did so many dynamic things. One thing that I see today is that people, you know, they ask you all the time, hey, what do you do? And I'm kind of a dynamic person. I like to see myself as a dynamic person that does a lot of different things, but it's themed around my my central mission. But I feel like uh, Ben was kind of one of the more unique guys and he was one of the first entrepreneurs and he even founded our great nation here, you know, in so many different ways. So uh, just an exciting guy and somebody who I feel like really enjoyed his life and made a huge impact. I'd love to love to sit down with Ben. Uh, when I met dad on the show, he said the same thing. So I think you guys might get along. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, what is one thing you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Okay, this is a tough, tough question. Um, I really, I had to think about this one. But I, I guess where what I would say is that our education system is deeply flawed, um, would be what my answer would be to this. And I think that it, maybe maybe a lot of people are going to agree with me on this one, but I think if you give it 10, 15, 20 years, college will be very different than it is today if it exists at all. Interesting. Well, we'll circle back in, in maybe just five years and see what we think about that. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hearing you that conversation comes up a lot on this show and many others that I listen to. So we're not alone in that, that theory, I think. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about learning the outcome. Is it that or, you know, is, is that happening nowadays? But I'm sure that's a topic for a, uh, another conversation. And that's a topic for an entire podcast, I think. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Yeah, so the mornings are sacred to me. I'm up at either 4.30 or 5 a.m. every day. Um, it's actually like the circadian rhythm is like on point because sometimes I wake up before the alarm and my dog also wakes me up uh, mm. as, as well. I have a German shepherd. His name is Bruno. Shout out to Bruno. But uh, wake up, obviously, we get Bruno fed and I get started with a cold glass of water and let him out, bring him back in, get a little meditation going, make some coffee. I read for about 45 minutes to an hour every morning, make breakfast, go to the gym, and then get my day started. So it's, it is carved in the neural pathways. I mean, this thing is like, I'm like a zombie and it just happens. But uh, this, is, this is my morning routine. I knew I liked you because you and I have almost an identical morning routine. I don't wake up quite as early as you admittedly, but except for a slight order change, like that's exactly what I do too. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Really well, I have to admit though, like at nighttime, I used to be, I used to be a little bit more of a night owl. I mean, 930 comes and I'm like, I'm about to face plant. So it's mm -hmm. just, I don't know what it is, but, uh, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, man. You and I were similar in that way. Well, Tyler, appreciate you being on the show today, man. Where is the best place that we can connect with you online? Yeah, Hans, thank you again for having me on the show. This has been a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, the best place for your listeners to connect with me online, you know, there's, there's many different areas. Um, Elevate Podcast, as you mentioned, I appreciate you uh, plugging the show there. It's on every single podcast uh, platform. Uh, please take a look at that, Elevate with Tyler Chesser. And then also you can find me on my website, tylerchester.com uh, or Instagram, Twitter at the Tyler Chester. And of course, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn, all those great places, uh, YouTube. I mean, you, you name it, we're all over the place.
Right on, man. Well, we will link to all of those down in the show notes. So if you had any value out of this today, which I can't imagine you wouldn't, go check out what Tyler's putting out on uh, his podcast, as well as all the social platforms. Got a lot of cool real estate stuff too. So if you're interested in that space, uh, hit him up because he's got a lot of value to offer there. Dude, well, thank you again for being a guest on the show today. And uh, do you have anything you'd like to leave the audience with before we sign it off? No, I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's just, you know, never give up. Uh, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I mentioned it. Never give up. Get curious in the face of failure. You know, when you fail, what is there to learn here? You know, what is happening for you and not to you? Because it's something I have to continually remind myself. And then just be consistent because if you can chip away at something, that's when you build something great. You're not going to build it in one day. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, and neither was your life. So just continue to be consistent, get curious in the face of failure and never give up. Those are some of my final parting thoughts. Dude, well, with that, we are going to uh, sign it off, but thank you. And that was a, a great way to end it. Absolutely, my friend. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm hoping you got as much out of that as I did. I've been really getting to know Tyler a little bit over the last couple of months and uh, definitely someone that you want to get to know. If you'd like to connect with him, you can go down to the show notes. His podcast link is there as well as his website and uh, some of his social platforms. So he is very available uh, and definitely someone who uh, has some really great uh, tips to implement in your journey, as well as uh, obviously uh, can help you with some real estate investing if that is something you're looking to do. While you're down in the show notes, remember, I would also love to connect with you personally and uh, get to know you a little better and find out how I can continue to make this podcast a better listening experience for you. So uh, find my Calendly link down there. And if you get value out of this or any of the other episodes I've put out, if you wouldn't mind going to iTunes, uh, leave a written rating and review. I would really appreciate it because it absolutely helps me with the feedback I'm hoping to get as well as with the algorithms to tell iTunes to put this show in front of others like yourself. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.